Well, hello, and welcome to The Insecurity Project. I'm your host, Jamin Fraser, and I am on a mission to end the unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. We've all got it. We've all got to work through it. But thankfully, there is a clear, intelligent, and complete solution to the insecurity problem, and that is what this project is all about. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Hey folks, my guest today is Erica Gerard. Now I heard Erica being interviewed on the Founder podcast and was so impressed at just the presence she brought to the table. Uh, she's only a young woman, but she has wisdom beyond her years. She's lived a big life and already done some very risky things, but ultimately is very values driven and has a passion to make a difference in the world. So she's doing some really innovating things innovative things today which she shares during the conversation uh, and is really someone who places a high emphasis on her own personal development which is why I was desperate to interview her so she's very graciously agreed to come on the show Uh, she started her first company with two friends in September 2013 uh, which is a copywriting and editorial agency she was only 23 years old at the time from there she started a cafe in Melbourne uh, and then co-founded her third business which really launched her into some pretty incredible success uh, the business was called Frank Body it was a skincare and beauty company best known for their scrub made of coffee grounds uh, but recently she made a very courageous decision to step away from that 20 million dollar business and launch into fluff which is uh, a brand that is really aimed at disrupting the the skincare beauty industry. It's aimed at 13 to 20 year olds and helping them dial down the need to prove something through the use of makeup and to own their own identity and value inherently and then just have fun on top of that. So some really interesting things there which I'm sure you can go look at afterwards. Uh, She's been featured widely in the media and is a sought after speaker so really stoked to have had this conversation with her. Again I loved it. I'm just grateful that I get to have these conversations with such wonderful people and uh, I'm I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now on to the show. You're on the Insecurity Project. I have the great privilege of talking with Erica Gerards today. I've rehearsed that surname at least three or four times. I think I've got it right. Um, Erica is the founder of Fluff, which you'll hear all about. Uh, welcome to the show, Erica. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a real treat. I heard you interviewed on Founder Podcast and was just fascinated by your story. Uh, you are a young entrepreneur, have seemed like you've already lived many lifetimes already in some of the mm-hmm. stuff you've done. Um, and yeah, like I, I, what you brought and, and the focus of what you're doing in uh, work with uh, makeup and the industry as a whole kind of really disrupting an industry is just fascinating work and I think really aligns with a lot about the insecurity project so really fascinating to hear your insights about that as we go on but as with all my guests I'm fascinated by a bit of your backstory and specifically what it was like for you growing up in your home and even more specifically the role your parents played in shaping your belief about yourself. Did they do a great job? Were they absent? Uh, how did they go around helping you establish your identity as yourself uh, as you grew up? So I would say my parents had a huge impact on the person that I am today. They were very active parents in my life. They actually split up initially when I was between like two and three years old and then they got back together and then 
split up officially when I was around 17. And I mentioned to some friends or in a podcast that I did the other week that that sort of first period in which they broke up actually sort of blacked out a lot of that time, not because anything specifically dramatic or bad happened, but I think as a child you tend to uh, protect yourself through emotionally traumatic events. And so I don't have a lot of memories from when I was very young, um, but I do remember like the individual relationships I had with my parents and then how they raised my myself, my older brother, and I have a twin sister as well. So I say to people that I grew up with two incredibly supportive parents, a dad who told me that I could do anything and if I dreamed and believed that I could achieve what I wanted and then a mum who told me that I could only dream, believe and achieve if I worked very hard for it. Okay. So it was, it was kind of nice and I think really relevant to a conversation that we're having today or that a conversation of, a lot of people in the business startup entrepreneurial space call it what you will should have because there is a certain amount of conversation around dreaming and believing being enough for you to achieve and I guess not accounting for the work that has to follow those dreams and belief because that can only get you so far and I think it's really crucial and important but unless you're willing to follow through and unless you're willing to work hard for those dreams and beliefs and not get an immediate return, uh, it, it's often hard to get what you want. So I, it was really nice that I spent a lot of time with both of my parents. They kind of switched between um, the parenting role at times based on their jobs. Okay. And my dad from a very young age for myself always had this, uh, I guess, way of telling us that our attitude determined everything. So my dad's a tennis coach and uh, for anyone really interested in tennis, I'm sure they would know that it's 99% a mental game. Uh, your attitude when you go on the court can determine everything and you can be the best player physically on the court but be having a bad day and everything can go to shit. In so many different sports, you could say that. Uh, and so my dad actually brought that sort of, uh, teaching and coaching sort of method into, I think, parenting method as well, whether he realised that or not. Mm. Uh, and so we had all these little attitude posters around our house and my dad would always talk to us. A big thing was about our breath and using our breath to control our attitude and our thoughts. And I have specific memories of this from a very early age. And if we were ever upset or stressed, he would sort of sit with us and tell us to, to stop and take some time and listen to our breath, wow. which was really nice. At the time, I thought it was kind of nothing, but now I can look back and I, I see the connection even to the practice of yoga. And, and when I'm going through stressful times now at almost 30, I always come back to that. Mm. Yeah, wow. What a, what a beautiful gift he gave you and, and your mum. Yeah. Um, so, therefore, that you developed as, as a, a naturally confident kind of child and, and, therefore, and by the sound of things, quite resilient. Is that true? Moving into your teenage years, felt like you had what you yeah. needed to place up to life? Yes. I mean, I will be the first person to say I've had a very fortunate upbringing. Uh, but better than others. I grew up in Melbourne. I went to a semi-private girls' school never had any real issues with 
bullying or major self-confidence issues. Like, I mean, as a girl, you go through a lot of different things in growing up and figuring yourself out. But I think that I was very fortunate that I came through. Yeah, sure. I just lost a little bit of that audio at the end. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Just um, cool. So, so that set you up uh, to be, you know, to launch yourself into business quite young. When did you start in business? Sorry, I just lost you for a second. Oh, right. Switched our Wi-Fi over, so it might be better. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, so that that beautiful start and the. Uh, the real confidence that you developed in yourself that led to you having the belief to back yourself into business quite young. Uh, you know, how old were you when you launched into business? Yeah, I think that there was a combination of sort of role models in my life, very much my parents in this idea of things will work out if you put the work in, which is something that I now tell to a lot of people. Um, and then my first boss out of university set a great example for me in terms of going out on my own and building something if you thought that there was a gap in an industry. Um, so I, I had this sort of mentality from very early on, even from like 18, 19, 20 of doing something bigger than myself, something for other people. Um, I would never have said that I was overly confident or that I um I thought that I could do it all I've always felt as though I'm quite a curious person um that wants to learn a lot so I sort of am typically straight off the bat quite quiet when I meet people and I'll just listen and want to know their story or what they're doing in their situation and it'll take time before I'll actually assert my opinion or um my stance on a conversation so yeah I think my approach to business has I never would have said to you I'm gonna have these several different businesses by the time I'm 30 or that I'd end up in the beauty industry it's all happened by uh, way of chance and serendipitous introductions and me sort of having this I call it a naive optimism in terms of well I know I'm gonna work hard so I'll just try it and surely that will work out um, but I guess it's persistence or work ethic that I will keep working to make something happen. And I don't like the idea of giving up. And once I've said I'm going to do something, I'm quite committed to that idea. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I am fascinated about behaviour and the drivers behind behaviour. And, and a philosophy that I have is that behaviour flows out of beliefs. It's kind of the end of the assembly line. And so to really understand your beliefs, um, behaviour never lies. And it's a great indicator to work your way back. To go, you know, if I if I am behaving like this, what must I believe in order to behave like this? So, yeah, to deconstruct um, some of that, you know, what I'm hearing is that you had a sense that you were enough. So, you know, you weren't overly confident, but um, you know, I define security as just a sense. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not everything, but I'm enough. I have what I need, and what I don't have, I can find. So I've got everything that I need to step up and face this challenge. I have enough. Um, whereas yeah. the insecurity is I don't have enough. I, I am not enough. Um, mm. So it seemed like the, the, the real empowering belief that was instilled in you from a young age is to go, yeah, I'm enough. 
I can face the challenges. I can commit to something and I can follow through with what, I'm, what I say I'm going to do and I'm, I'm enough to bring a unique solution to the market. So uh, would you say that's true? Definitely. I think that this idea of being enough is a really interesting conversation, especially, say, for women and women in business. And there is this conversation obviously going on right now about women fighting for equality in the workplace and trying to stand up to the man. Yeah. And I can't speak for other women, obviously, uh, and I never want to take away from an experience that another woman has had. But I personally have never felt oppressed or um, put down by a man in the workforce. Um, and I, I do bring that back to, I think, the relationship that I had with my father in terms of he never put a divide between him and myself and his role or career and, and my mother's or... There was, so there was never that separation where I felt like uh, I had to be submissive to him or to a male figure. And I always say to women, if you feel oppressed or frightened or um, silenced by a man, like I, I always say to them, tell me about your relationship with your father. Mm. Like what, how did you grow up with what sort of male figure in your life? Because if you see them as different to you like I, I want to understand why and I don't think many women go back that far and question because my relationship with my father like the earliest and most like prominent male figure in their life has that affected how they see men and how they relate to men particularly in the workforce or in relationships so again I have to caveat that with that I obviously can't take from particular women's experiences and they have their own stories but this is mine personally and so it's never limited me I've never been in a boardroom across from men where I felt intimidated or like I don't have the right to speak up and I feel fortunate in that regard but I often want women to ask like is it that guy who's making you feel uncomfortable or is it an internal dialogue yeah. that's making you feel uncomfortable and it, it could be either um, but often I want to say to women, you don't have anything to be concerned about or worried about. Like you belong at that table. Mm. Say what you want. You can be different to a guy. Like we are different from men. Yeah. We should embrace those differences and our sort of soft power and, and challengement in that regard. Mm. Um, that I feel just what you just said right there was uh, very weighty. And um, it affected it affected me for some reason, uh, and I think yeah. I think um, what I loved most about what you just said there is that you know people you know our brains are incredible machines and they're evidence gathering systems and, and we'll find evidence for whatever we believe is true and so it's so easy for people to see their world and go see that proves that I'm right I, I've got example after example of being oppressed or have less opportunities or things are hard for me and, and my frame of reference is it's because I'm the way that I am and here's the proof. And then it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, so to actually step back from that and be objective and explore the internal story and even be willing enough to go all the way back to the, the, the forming relationships mm. as a child, it's a courageous thing, but I think it's beautiful work. Like you talk about working hard. I think that's probably some of the hardest work to do 
um, but some of the most meaningful work to do because it sets you up. If you can set yourself free by reconciling your own story and owning your own power, then you do have nothing to fear in the world. And yeah. all you find is evidence of open doors and opportunity because you believe you're capable and enough and you then will, you know, step forward. So mm. you're talking about, you know, asking your relationship with your dad because I, I am always fascinated by someone's relationship with their dad and I still find there's a bit of stigma, um, you know, maybe the therapy model laying in a couch, tell me about your dad. People are kind of like, no, you don't have to go back. You don't need to do that. You just be positive and you just kind of get on with life and you don't worry about that stuff. But, um, you know, the research around beliefs formed by the time you're seven, well... I was about to say two to seven. It's like... Your parents are, are, you are yeah. in your world at that time. So whether you want to or not, they are going to have a huge part in your identity and the relationship will have to be revisited as an adult to go back and explore that, how it's impacted. Yeah. Mm. Uh, thanks for bringing that. I think as humans, yeah, of course. I think as humans, we, we look externally to blame things as opposed to mm. internally. And I've... I have spent the last, what is it, like nine, nine years really working to understand myself and my thoughts and separate my like experiencing self from my thinking self. And it's something that I recommend anybody and everybody to do, but that so few people do. Um, and it's helped me in... Sorry to, to press pause. Can you just explain that? Can you help us understand how you differentiate between your thinking self and your experiencing self? Yeah, I think to give you like a little bit of context for it. So when I was 21, I went and did a Vipassana meditation retreat and I've been doing them since then um, for like the last nine years. I've had an in and out like relationship with meditation and it's the like technique that I'm most drawn to and it translates to seeing things as they really are, of which they state that um, things happen to us at any one point in time we experience events, circumstances, and they can be sad, they can be traumatic, they can be happy, they can be exciting in that moment. And then after that is the thoughts that we attach to yes. that event that we carry that on to the next days. So there is um, a really beautiful quote as well by Victor E. Frankel in which he says that between stimulus and response there's this space and in that space um, is our power to choose our response. And that power is our greatest freedom. And I really believe that. And we're getting really deep, like really early on, but that translates everything in my life, like personal relationships and work, um, my career, everything that I do in it. Whatever happens to us, we have this choice of how we react and respond. And that's internal. It's not about other people. Like we can choose how we carry that forward into our days. Um, and I try and talk to people about that. It's something that can take a long time. I'm still learning so much about it. I'm not immune to feeling shit some days and feeling sorry for myself some days. Mm. Uh, it's an ongoing kind of journey, but one that's really exciting, like the most fruitful for me um, and that I really like sharing with people and would love to um, more because typically these kind of conversations are saved for, you know, the on the yoga mat or I don't know, somewhere else on a religious retreat like it doesn't have to be i think these conversations are crucial to business yeah. and they're what separates often very successful people and not successful people 
yeah, entirely. I, yeah, I, I love that idea and think it's, I think it's crucial. I mean, the whole philosophy around the security project is that, um, you know, personal development is going to be some of the most important on, important work entrepreneurs are going to need to do. So you might as well work out how to do it really well and, and effectively so that yeah. you do your best work and do it unhindered. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think when you are starting a, a, a business or several businesses, like you are differentiating yourself from people who are just employed in businesses straight away because you have to deal with many more stresses many more situations of doubt and fear than other people would. Yeah. And that's not something really that, that you can be taught to like cope with. You have to look within. Yeah. You can read a million books, but at the end of the day, if you don't understand the teachings, they're never going to sink in. Mm. And that understanding has to come from yourself. Um, and spending a lot of time with yourself. Yep. Um, confronting those insecurities, confronting those fears, um, breaking them down, understanding where they come from. If they come from anywhere, and often they that's a thing, they don't, they come from your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're all a work of fiction. Mm. Uh, we're storytellers and we we make up stuff and then mm. we believe it. It's true. And so, yeah. Um, so in, in terms of your journey, like I think um, success opens doors for you and pushes you into more uncertainty and bigger spaces, which then can cause you to wrestle with, um, you know, well, I proved I was enough for that stage, but am I enough for this stage? So I'm sure your world keeps getting bigger and bigger as you progress. Um, how do you keep practising or, or what do you keep practising to stay in this space of, presence and confidence and feeling enough are there any specific rituals um, practices that you you rely on yeah I think that over the last probably five six years when my second business Frank body the skincare company did quite well and then I chose to leave that to start fluff mm. that was a really pivotal point for me in which my identity had really been assigned to that brand and that business for so long so when I left it I was kind of forced to be like well who am I and a whole lot of insecurity and doubt and fear about what I would do next and if it would succeed kind of kicked in and I had to confront that and it took a good probably year to almost two years for me to work through the like hurt and fear and emotions of leaving that business wow which can seem like a long time, but, you know, when we're hopefully here for like 80 or 90 years, it's not too bad in the end. And I think feeling something is better than not feeling anything at all. And I enjoy so much confronting these fears now and seeing what they teach um, myself yeah. about myself. So what I've learned over the last five years is what's important for me to, to deal with things or the difference between a day where I've got my shit together and feel like I can cope and a day when I don't. Uh, things like a routine um, that starts when I wake up and what I do, everything from meditating and going to yoga and having time by myself in the morning to get on top of my work before I'm around other people, mm-hmm. looking after, I guess, my body and my mind with the food that I eat, with the people I spend time around. So, like, routine is one, but people is another big thing. I've learned that 
you know, there are people who give energy to and people who take away. Mm. And just at the, the end of last year, I had my notebook and I wrote down all the positive and negative people in my life um, of which I knew that I had to give more time to the positive people and give less to the negative, not about removing them from my life, but being conscious that those negative people don't give me the energy that I need. Um, and that was hard because some of my friends and family are on that negative list yeah. and putting pen to paper was like quite confronting to be like, wow, you, these, you recognize these people aren't good for you. Um, so how do you have them, but I guess at arm's length so that they don't take away from what you're trying to do. Yeah. So I would say that that idea of like routine and, um, having good people around you has been so important. Meditation, even though I jump in and out of it, it's, is really crucial for me. Like I can see the difference that that makes in my life personally, professionally. Um, but I think a lot of people have ironically attachment to meditation in terms of if they don't do it every day, that they're failing or it's not right. But it's, it's just about it being a practice, right? No one's reaching enlightenment in their lifetime. It's ongoing. That's why it's called practice. Um, so that's important for me, but I, I feel good right now that I can deal with the stresses that I encounter at work each day because I am happy doing what I'm doing and there is a sense of purpose in what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and I, I believe that you can make a lot of money and have purpose and derive value from mm. your career. It has to be one or the other. And so I feel pretty fortunate to have gotten to this stage um, where... I can achieve that with fluff. I mean, we're not there yet. There's, it's a hard road for us for the next probably two years, but we're all willing to do it because we care about this company yeah. and this brand that we're building. Um, just before I hear about fluff, um, something you said around the positive and negative list and the, the impact the people in your world were having on you. Um, yeah, such a confronting thing to do, but I was reminded by the, the hero's journey metaphor. Are you familiar with that metaphor from Joseph Campbell? I'm not sure. Try me. Uh, well, there's lots of cool parts to it, but the one that I think related to what you're saying is um, uh, somewhere along the journey you encounter gatekeepers. The hero always encounters gatekeepers. So they are people in the hero's world that for whatever reason become part of the resistance to them moving forward. So it can be just, you know, the energy that they bring to the table. It can be their ideas, their advice. Can be their own insecurity, their fears that get projected, but the net effect of them is they they become part of the block between where the hero is now and the 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 mission, the purpose, the calling. Um, yes. And part of the challenge of the gatekeepers is that out of their own fear, they project that if the hero goes beyond them, they'll be all alone. Um, so they kind of have to stay with the gatekeepers, but they, what they can't see is that beyond them are companions. And yeah. So if you, you know, the, the beautiful thing around seeing this metaphor, it kind of, for me, it's given me hope to go, it's okay to let people go and to not um, let them hold me back because I won't be alone actually and I'll replace them with companions who understand what I'm, what I'm doing and where I'm going and actually add to my journey rather yeah. than uh, hold me back. So I found that gatekeepers versus companions a really useful way to... Um, yeah understand the dynamics of relationships in my life totally yeah i like that mm, cool um so tell us about fluff um and that was initially what what really attracted me to what you were doing and 
the the insecurity project stuff because you know obviously um well you know from my understanding as a man i've not used makeup but it seems mm-hmm. like uh, women spend a lot of time fussing over their appearance and that's a big part of the insecurity stuff that women experience and so you've taken a really disruptive approach to that as an industry so I, yeah i'd love to for you to share a bit about the mission and purpose and the backstory and you know what what you're doing with fluff yeah so i mean i had spent maybe five years within the beauty industry through the writing agency that I originally had in which we uh, worked with a lot of beauty brands and then Frank Body, which while I was there for about three years became quite successful on an international scale. So I met countless founders in the beauty industry, a lot of media and a lot of consumers and influencers. And when I left Frank Body. I felt like I still had one brand in me and I felt like I was quite disheartened and disengaged with the industry in general and the messages that they were putting out there. I think as brands and publishers of content, we have this responsibility to shape um, our consumers in terms of how they see the world and how they view the world via the products they consume. That is part of how we build, I guess, an idea of ourselves and especially young women, Um, everything from how we wear our hair to the clothes we wear to how much makeup we put on. It's us putting ourselves out there in a way to the world. And for me, what I noticed was that a lot of brands in the beauty space catered to this 18 to 35-year-old woman. It was just kind of like the millennial consumer. It was very easy to market to them. But no one was speaking to a younger demographic, which we now call centennials or Gen Z. And because of that, these younger girls were looking at imagery and ideals of beauty that were made for older audiences. And there was no one speaking directly to these young girls. And if they were, they were talking down to them and talking to them like they were eight-year-olds, which they're definitely not because anyone between, say, 13 to 20 is incredibly savvy and incredibly well-read in terms of the world and what they have access to so much more than... Yeah. I may have when I was a teenager, but they're also still impressionable like I was when I was a teenager and trying to figure themselves out. So for me, when I left Frank Body, I really wanted to create a brand that spoke to them and represented them and reflected kind of where they were at in their life without talking down to them, sort of giving them the chance to be a part of the industry and have their say. I also felt like in Australia in particular, they're, weren't any new beauty brands that were making an impact on an international scale. We have Aesop, we have Jolique, we have Mecca now, but who else can we really say has forged their way onto international grounds and is regarded for not just the products they're creating, but the brand and the message that they're putting out there. So that was sort of the, the idea of fluff. Obviously with social media, we have this influx of noise in terms of what girls should look like and we have this idea of the Instagram face and heavy contouring and very much sort of like this clone-like race of girls who all look the same and I believe that we don't yet know how detrimental those effects are going to be on these young girls when they move into their late 20s to early 30s. So, I mean, I as a teenager growing up, didn't have as much noise from social media and I still had certain insecurities 
or yeah. was trying to figure myself out. So I can't imagine how hard it is for these young girls. And we spent about a year and a half talking to girls about beauty and about the brands that they looked at and what they wanted. And we got confirmation from them that they didn't feel like any brand was speaking to them at the, and that they were being told to look a certain way or be a certain way and not accept themselves for who they were. Yeah. So that was, that was really the idea for Fluff was to create a beauty brand that spoke to this younger consumer that was more than makeup and that told girls that beauty is so much more than makeup, that makeup is just fluff essentially it's just extra it's unnecessary it's fun we're not going to take it away from anyone it's a rite of passage for girls it can be a creative outlet it can make you feel pretty but it shouldn't define who you are it shouldn't be the be all and end all so i mean it's a backwards business model trying to tell girls to wear less makeup and buy less but it's one that we care about and we, we do believe fluff can be and will be more than makeup and so that's sort of our mission to change this idea of beauty uh, within the industry and challenge the industry to be better and create as natural as products as possible and still with a cool brand that speaks to this audience. Incredible. That's, Thanks. Yeah, it is really incredible. Yeah, I really acknowledge you. That's some great work. Um, where can people find you and find Fluff if they're, trying to, if they're hearing for the first time? So we are based in Melbourne and we have a showroom uh, in Fitzroy, which anyone can come and visit and hang out and try our products. Um, but we are predominantly an e-commerce brand, so we ship direct to consumer, um, which is great. And our website, it's allfluff.com, and our socials, it's all.fluff. The biggest thing for us is trying to build a brand that does talk about more than makeup. Yeah. So we have hundreds of girls that contribute articles to us. Wow. Um, of which we post and they discuss what's kind of what beauty means to them and their relationships in makeup with makeup and their relationships with their friends and what they're going through. And it's really nice in a world where publishers are pushing out very similar content and especially in the beauty space around what it girl to follow, what lipstick colour to wear, et cetera. We think there's enough of that. Yeah. Just like we think there's enough makeup in the world, to be honest, but we think that there can be better brands, better content and better makeup. So that's sort of our aim. Okay. Excellent. Um, so uh, a question I ask all my guests is around books and resources that you find useful for yourself in terms of this insecurity stuff and stuff that you recommend to others. So are there particular resources, um, yeah, specifically books, podcasts, uh, other people who are, you know, saying some useful stuff about this subject yeah. like and would recommend? So many. Like, I could go on forever. But, <laughs> I mean, the first book that my boss gave me when I was 21 was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And I think there is some really beautiful things in that book. Yeah. I think it's a nice introduction for people, to be honest. There's some stuff I don't necessarily agree with, but it's really interesting. Um, I, in terms of a business book, but that really delves into the insecurities of business is um, Ben Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Okay. It is one of my favourites that I read recently and I will return to again and again. Great. Um, the Places That Scare You is a great book <laughs> as well. The Four Agreements one? is a great book. Yes, it is a great book. Um, Sorry, who's The Places That another, Scare You? That boy. 
Oh God, I don't know. Let me Google it. I don't often remember um, authors of band names. Show notes, no problems. But um, there's another one. Hold on, let me see. The places that scare you. Pima Codron. Okay. Definitely not pronouncing that right, but anyway. Um, Conversations with God. Yep. I don't know if you have heard about that one. That's by Neil Donald Walsh. Um, The title is, like, very scary and I'm not religious at all, um, but it was given to me by someone and recommended I read it and it's very interesting um, to, I guess, not to make people maybe more intrigued. The idea of God in this book is that, God is the conversation with yourself that you are the creator of your own thoughts and your own destiny. So that was a really interesting one as well. I'm so open to, I basically read either spiritual books and business books and I feel like my personality somehow ended up in the middle and my thoughts on life. Um, So I do really enjoy those. But in terms of interior, like I've just, I love reading books by people who started companies like I found it, the Shoe Dog um, by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, was a great book. I cried at the end. I could just really relate to what he was going through in some ways. Um, podcasts, I really enjoy Ezra Klein. He has some incredible conversations with incredibly intelligent people. Um, I mean, I I think that, most people should seek out conversations with people that confront them and challenge them within their own circles mm. and kind of question like why what we're doing, why we're here, are we doing something bigger than ourselves, which is really nice because I believe we're actually on this earth for a very long time. I don't think life is short. I think it's really fucking long. <laughs> I think it's only short if we waste it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered, anything else that you think is important to mention, especially in the subject of um, getting to the place where you know you are enough and able to face up to life and handle whatever throw, whatever it throws at you? So anything we've missed um, in your mind? I mean, it's yeah, I think for me it's like this is always going to be a journey for people and I don't think there is a point where you're like, I'm fixed, I'm good, I'm still learning, I still doubt myself at times I still doubt our capabilities sometimes or in achieving what I want to achieve in life but I also think that doubt is really important and I think that doubt makes you question and challenge yourself in a situation or an event and that usually leads to pivoting and creating change and doing better and striving to do more and some of the best decisions we've made in business or in my life and my relationships has been because I've doubted things yeah. and then I've taken action on that. So I think where doubt is bad is when that doubt turns to fear and it paralyzes yeah. you yeah. and you feel like you can't act on it. Mm. And I think that it's about trying to have this awareness about what's going on and to question your thoughts, try and understand where those thoughts are coming from. And the the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is personal development, really. I mean, we do so much for ourselves in terms of we try to look after our bodies and we try and eat well, we go to the gym, but it's like, how do we exercise our brain? How do we look after the most important thing, which is our head and the thoughts that are in there? 
And if you aren't reading about that or you, you aren't you're truly missing out. Uh, well, yeah, so true. So that's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. I love it. Um, okay, it's been a very enjoyable conversation. feels like a, a natural place to leave it there. Um, make yeah. sure that all the books you've mentioned, the podcast from the show notes and links to you and to Fluff so that people can find you. So, again, I appreciate your time. This conversation has been very rich. I've benefited greatly from it and I'm sure the listeners will too. So, Erica, thank you again for your time. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Now, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, for those of you who've been following my work for a while, uh, I've put out the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Uh, I'm convinced that insecurity can be overcome and not just masked, managed or avoided. Uh, but I think people who throughout time have found a way to show up to life unhindered have done so a certain way. There are keys that each of them have used and so my work has been to compile these ideas and, and make sense of the stuff that's worked and, and deconstruct key ideas so they can be used and reproduced. So look, that's available on my website. Um, I'm particularly interested in having conversations about overcoming insecurity for entrepreneurs and even more particularly 35 to 40 year old entrepreneurs. I just think entrepreneurs have got skin in the game. They have such a desperate need to solve this problem because it's all them showing up in the world solving problems. So it's good for the world to have entrepreneurs uh, at their best where it matters most. So if that's you, uh, love to have a conversation. Jump on my website, have a look at the seven essential practices and take the online assessment just to see how you measure up against these seven practices and how well you're doing. And uh, look, love, love to have a conversation with you if you think it could be helpful. I'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.